You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hello, and welcome back to Loved As You Are, an Ignatian podcast with me, Gretchen Crowder. I'm so glad you are here. We are well into summer over here in Texas, and it is insanely hot outside. But the heat does give me plenty of time to stay indoors and edit these wonderful conversations I've been privileged to have with friends both old and new. Even though it's been a few weeks since I've published a new episode, the number of new listeners has continued to climb, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you who have tuned in. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps other people find the show. Or better yet, tell someone you know how to tune in. Today I'm excited to be back with you, sharing my conversation with Stephen Salazi. Stephen and I first met almost a decade ago at a campus ministry conference for the Jesuit Schools Network. In addition to loving discussing our mutual work in ministry, Stephen and I also loved having great conversations about spirituality, like the one I have to share with you today. Stephen lives with his wife, Amy, and their dog, Grover, in Oakland, California, following a move from the East Coast last August. After 12 years supporting campus ministry at Gonzaga College High School, he began this past fall as the Director of Spiritual Formation at the Jesuit School of Theology in Berkeley. His own formation began in Ohio as one of eight children in a Catholic home that sat catty-corner to the parish church. He has graduate degrees in theology from St. John's University in Collegeville and in comparative literature from Stony Brook University. While not posting or submitting anything anywhere, he's happy to share an Instagram account he created and maintained briefly called at theological underscore vocabulary. It's paired with a blog he's inclined to take down called Paschal Passages. I'll share both in the show notes. But this information alone should show you how humble and thoughtful Stephen is. I enjoyed speaking with Stephen about all things Ignatian, particularly what his time in the Jesuit novitiate many years ago meant to him and the trajectory of his life. This conversation is so rich, I am sure you will not want to miss a minute. So, here we go. introducing you to my listeners and I explained to them that we first met back when we were both doing campus ministry and attending the Jesuit Schools Network campus ministers conferences and even being from completely different states and different backgrounds we always had such great conversations about spirituality centered on our shared uh, knowledge of Ignatian spirituality so it seemed fitting to invite you onto this podcast to discuss a theme that has become really important to me really close to my heart that is really important to Ignatian spirituality in general which is this theme of being loved as we are 
wanted to start off by asking you, how, how did this theme speak to you in terms of being willing to say yes to come on to a podcast uh, with me and talk about it? Good morning, Gretchen. So good, good to be with you and yeah. good to reconnect this way. So thank you for the invitation. Yeah, so a theme of your podcast, I think, is really lovely in that it reminds us the way God meets us where we are and affirms us and strengthens us for all that we face. And I, I don't know that uh, I necessarily needed too much encouragement <laughs> to feel free to uh, say yes to your invitation. It was more out of uh, appreciation for those conversations you mentioned at the start and then uh, recognizing indeed that God comes to us in all kinds of little moments. And I think uh, that's been true in those conversations over the years. And uh, so I was glad to have an opportunity to reconnect this way. Uh, you know, I think your theme, uh, as I've thought about it recently, speaks some to the transition that I've made in the past year. Because my wife and I drove from uh, Washington, D.C., where I was working in campus ministry last summer to Berkeley. And I started this new role as director of spiritual formation at the Jesuit School of Theology in August last year. And transitions are so fraught with uncertainties, mm -hmm. and you put a lot into question uh, as soon as you step away from a role and a place and a set of relationships, and then you have to sort back out, you know, where am I, what's going on here, and how do I understand who I am? Mm -hmm. And there are moments uh, taking up a new job and coming to live in a new place where you run up against your limits, your faults, uh, other people's uncertainties. Mm -hmm. And all of that has to be uh, kind of uh, brought back to a place where you can uh, meet it with a little poise and mm -hmm. grace. Mm -hmm. And I think that this theme of loved as you are and God's uh, generous way of meeting us where we are has really been uh, a principal way that I've gotten my feet over the course of the year mm -hmm. uh, and come to kind of live into a new moment. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I, I'm, I'm grateful for that love and the way that God does furnish us reminders and peace apart in the midst of transition and times of uncertainty and in those moments when we're a little less clear and have fewer things to remind us that, oh, yeah, this is what I'm about. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. And something comes in about, and we have to kind of, again, ask ourselves, okay, how do I approach this moment? Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, great that we can carry with us that foundation of God loving us as we are when we move from state to state. For you, that was an incredible transition from one side of the country to the other. And to be able to know that even though everyone you meet would be new uh, and every experience would be new, you still had that foundation. And especially because you were moving from one Ignatian spirituality, one Jesuit institution to another, you could also carry that shared language, that shared understanding from the people you met in the first place to the people you met in the second place, for sure. I can't imagine that you were at, at Gonzaga for 12 years. So, uh, right. So that, that was a big, a leap of faith. And I think Ignatian discernment definitely helps us make those types of decisions, um, easier no than, than without those tools for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that my move was preceded by a period of prayer and discernment 
and kind of a careful reflection on what is God doing in my life? What has he been doing? What will God do as I make this transition uh, with me? that I could uh, say yes with greater freedom and confidence. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, when I met challenges or moments of uncertainty, could come back to that uh, memory mm -hmm. of that time in discernment and say, yeah, that's right. Uh, God and I had a little conversation before this all got started, and I'm glad to be where I am. Yeah. yeah. In Ignatian spirituality, there's this familiarity with God as be God being our friend, God being our companion on the journey. Is this the image that you have of God or what is your image of God and, and how did you come to that understanding of who God is to you? Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, I pause before this question because I think uh, there are so many ways of knowing who God is and encountering God, and I think God meets us in a variety of different ways. And I'm grateful for that richness that we find in God. I do think that a company, like one who accompanies us, is very much a, a part of how I understood God right before getting on the road and getting in the car and starting that drive. And in part because on one of the high school service trips back in D.C., we had traveled up to Camden, and we're at the Romero Center. And there were some wonderful speakers, and our hosts were really beautiful, and they, they accompanied the group and invited us to reflect on what it is to give our presence to people in ways that allow us to be one who accompanies them in a grace-filled way. Mm -hmm. And that experience kind of encouraged me to think about accompaniment as one of the primary ways that God would meet me in the coming year and a manner in which I hope to meet others. Yeah, one of the ways that I think I've really thought of who God is is uh, in relationship to the idea of mystery. And uh, I think I know that mystery in relationship to the life of Christ and the Paschal mystery and his life, death, and resurrection and the pattern that that furnishes uh, our life as a community, my own life, the lives of those I meet. And, but it, in relationship to your theme, I think I know uh, God as mystery in the way that one might know a beloved. Mm -hmm. And when you look into the eyes of someone whom you love, and there's this sense of, uh, what can't be named, what lies beyond uh, one's grasp, and uh, this affirmation, again, of the loved ones looking at you with love, mm -hmm. and there's a kind of mysterious exchange and encounter that happens when looking into someone's eyes, mm -hmm. and I'd say that, that that resonates for me about who God is. It's uh, a lot like looking into the eyes of someone. Mm -hmm and knowing that that person loves you. Mm -hmm. Is this an understanding that you've had for a long time, or when is this something that came with your understanding of Ignatian spirituality, you know, your work with students and spirituality? Yeah, I think it's uh, an understanding that's been maturing over many years. Mm -hmm. One of the first places it really became prominent was when I was working on a master's thesis, and I wrote on this German theologian named Nicholas of Cusa, who has this beautiful book called On the Vision of God. Mm -hmm. And it's about uh, what it is to look at God and how God looks at us. And that was meaningful. And I think since then, I have continued to kind of ruminate on these questions of how God meets us. And 
certainly my years in campus ministry serving high school students was an occasion to grow in my awareness of how God works and discover just how loving God can be mm-hmm. and how present in the people around us mm-hmm. and in ways we don't anticipate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I found in that time, I think, that God often looked at me with love, but also with a love that stretched me. And I think that's been true through the course of my marriage uh, over the last uh, four years. And as I was dating Amy, again, there's a way in which the encounter and love uh, kind of invites us into understanding who God is more deeply mm-hmm. in the process of coming to love someone else. And so, yeah, my my own sense of who God is in all these ways has grown as a consequence of those different experiences. What I think Ignatian spirituality really has done for me is helped me to approach the question with a kind of interior sensitivity mm-hmm. and a desire to pay attention mm-hmm. and then reflect on what is that movement, what's going on here, and what does that reveal about who God is mm-hmm. and my own ability to respond or my reluctance to do so. So, yeah, the invitation at first in the long retreat, the spiritual exercises, that progressive uh, movement from week to week uh, with prayers over the life of Christ culminating in a sense of call and mission. Uh, I think it really opens the heart and mind and spirit up to think about how does God work with me. And then through the course of the day, one maybe runs up against some of those same movements and is uh, in a sense of Maybe there's a challenging conversation to be had or a moment that requires greater patience or a moment when you know you need to be sensitive to someone and your prayer experience in the retreat has given you a a trigger Mm -hmm. to say, oh, wait a minute, this is that moment where Christ is inviting me to respond with care, Mm -hmm. slow down, pay attention, Mm -hmm. appreciate in ways that... uh, the prayer experience during the retreat kind of invited us to become aware that that's how God is working Mm -hmm. so that then progressively through the course of one's life, there are all those moments where God's rapping on the door of our heart again, saying, here I am. Mm -hmm. Are you paying attention? Mm -hmm. Will you go with me where I want to go? Yeah. When did you, because you said you were, you were born in a family of eight or seven brothers and sisters, and it was a ca- seven brothers and, and sisters, it was yeah. a Catholic family. Mm-hmm. Was Ignatian spirituality a part of your upbringing, or when were you introduced to the Jesuits and Ignatian spirituality? Yeah, my family uh, didn't have an affiliation with the Jesuits in any way, and I, I didn't really hear much about them until uh, maybe first in high school when there was some class mention of uh, them in church history. But then uh, when I was at Miami University, I had a great course taught by a former Jesuit called The Philosophy of Love. And he really uh, invited me and the class to think about love as a force at work in the world in ways that provoked deeper relationship, a fuller life, and a commitment to justice in the world. And all of that was quite uh, evocative for me. And so when I left, I had decided to study theology, and I think I carried with me some sense of who the Jesuits were, only to really then encounter them when I was uh, in graduate school on Long Island and connected with the East Coast province and explored entering the novitiate, which I then did. 
And so it was two years in the novitiate that really solidified some sense of who the Jesuits were. So I definitely think that that uh, familiarity has continued to grow. And those years working in a Jesuit institution like you do now is a really wonderful way to acquire some sense of the charism of the society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so through that time in the novitiate, you had the experience, I imagine, of the 30-day silent uh, spiritual exercises retreat, which most of us uh, do not have that experience of doing it all at, all at once. How was that experience for you? Yeah, it was a tremendous blessing. Uh, I think, uh, without question, a fundamentally reorienting uh, period of my life, those 30 days. Mm-hmm. I can look back on them and have memories of the retreat and uh, prayer in ways that shape my imagination for what it is to approach anything I do in life. It helps me to name my purpose. It helps me to think through. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of furnishes a, a spiritual freedom, I think, mm-hmm. that I still try to foster and encourage within myself, but based and rooted in that time of prayer that the 30 days uh, allow one to have. Shortly, uh, I'll get to spend just another eight days on retreat, and that also, I'm, I'm certain, will be another way to go back and recover the grace mm-hmm. uh, that God was furnishing way back uh, now over 13 years ago yeah. uh, on a retreat and deepen it within me so that I can live out of that space mm-hmm. uh, with greater ease. Yeah, this. It's true. Spiritual exercises are something you can't just do once, right? You return to the graces of the weeks and and look back at some of it probably consistently throughout your life because there's always more to discover, right? That's right. Yeah. It's it's like really good memories with a friend mm-hmm. that uh, continue to feed you. Uh, and they come back at certain points in life and it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh mm-hmm. I remember hearing that from so-and-so, and I need to think that over again. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think this idea of being loved as you are really spoke to me when I considered the first week of the spiritual exercises, uh, where you really concentrate on this idea of being a loved sinner, um, but the loved part always comes first, and really understanding that despite anything that happens in our lives, any choices we make, choices that other people make, that God is always loving us um, in that moment and as we are before, during, and after. Did anything in particular in the first week of the exercises speak to you in that way, like something that maybe our listeners, you can point out that they can kind of latch on to on that idea? Yeah, a couple of things. First, I think you're you're right that the love comes first, and it has to because to look at ourselves as sinners is almost always in light of who God is as the one who loves us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a turning away from that in some way, and also just the spiritual strength that it takes to accept one's faults and limitations mm-hmm. is almost always possible only because we've been reminded that God holds us with loving hands. And so we can kind of daringly step into those questions of, well, I wasn't really myself then. And so I think that that is really true uh, of that first week. And 
uh, the Jesuits, I'm pretty sure this is pretty consistent, would uh, often have a preparatory week in, before entering the exercises. Mm -hmm. And the preparation is very much focused on reminding us of that love mm -hmm. that came first. Mm -hmm. God's generous way of holding us is the place from which we move, even as we move into this question of how have I turned away? But my own first week, one of the real gifts of that time, and I think this really resonates with your theme, was a certain meditation during which uh, I had this strong sense of a little kind of back and forth song between me and God. Mm. And it was, you have so much to give me, and I have so much to receive from you. Mm -hmm. And I have so much to give you, and you have so much to receive from me. Mm -hmm. And it was this idea of mutual love and mutual self-giving mm -hmm. already in the first week, kind of an invitation into being aware of what it is to receive the gift of God's love mm -hmm. and return it in kind. Yeah, and, and to return it because of this loving relationship and this desire to do something for the one you care for, as opposed to like a fear of if I don't do something, then there's repercussions on my future, on my life. I think maybe one of the ways many of us grew up was this idea of God kind of keeping a tally list of, oh, you did, you did well here, you didn't do well here did well. Oh, you got to work on this and you got to do better here. And this idea, when I first learned it in nation spirituality, almost seemed revolutionary that God really doesn't have those lists. It's more like as a friend, God hurts when I don't treat God like I would treat a friend, you know, like a human being would hurt when I, when I don't treat the relationship well. Um, but that, that it's not like a, a tick mark kind of thing. It's just this desire for relationship that God has for us. Yeah, it was just yeah. so different from some of the other understandings I hear of God. Yeah, right. It's easy to get uh, caught in smaller images of who God would be for us. And that one, I think, is sometimes the metaphor is an accountant God who mm -hmm. has got the score book or the policeman God. Uh, yeah. I hear you using that Kairos uh, retreat language of, uh, you know, the things yeah. that we tell the students when we're trying to say, sure. hey, how do you think of God as a friend and how do we kind of grow up from these other understandings that we have, for sure? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Kairos retreat is sometimes, I think, obviously celebrated within the network, but also sometimes felt, I think, envisioned as a a real simple, small thing, but in fact, I, I think it has a lot of spiritual wisdom, mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's very real in terms of what it uh, invites us to reflect on. So, yeah, over the years, I, I think at Gonzaga, I, I went on over 50 of those Kairos yeah. retreats, or about 50 of them, yeah. and heard some of those same ideas repeated, but there wasn't an occasion when I didn't have reason to pause and say, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and for those who are listening who don't know, um, a Kairos retreat is, well, the word Kairos, the Greek word Kairos means the right time. And so it, so a retreat kind of, I think it's not exactly like the spiritual exercises, but there are elements of the spiritual exercises within it where students all over the Jesuit network of schools, but also in other schools as well, are invited to think of who am I, who is God, and who is God calling me to be? which also happens to be some of the questions that 
Ignatius invites us to reflect on daily in the examine, right? Who am I? Who is God? Who is God calling me to be? Yeah, no doubt. Is there a particular moment or story that you can point to where this understanding of being loved as you are came to be real for you? I mean, I'm sure we all have many moments in our many years of living, but... Hmm. Not a great storyteller, Gretchen. <laughs> uh, let me I think you don't uh, give yourself enough credit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, there have been so many moments, and I guess I think maybe a time that is really telling about this was when I elected at the end of a retreat not to take vows as a Jesuit. Mm -hmm again was a, a moment of stepping out of uh, something that felt right in many ways and affirmed me in a lot of ways, but I had an inclination and in prayer sense, no, um, being called elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Well, that took me into a space that was really hard in a lot of ways because I left this process, a lot of friends, and uh, didn't have a role, didn't have a job. Uh, and there was just a lot of uncertainty about my my own worth because none of the world's kind of markers were necessarily there in the way that they had been. One could even look on the decision not to take vows as a failure. It's kind of like a failure to launch. So you kind of leave in uh, with some uh, hard, hard, heavy feelings to carry. And the first several months when I landed in Philadelphia, the Jesuits had been very supportive and very helpful in that process, but you still have to make your way on your own. And I can see that God was drawing me through that transition in ways that were reinforcing a deeper, more certain confidence in the love that God has for me, mm -hmm. because it would no longer be on the basis of my being a Jesuit on my becoming a priest, mm -hmm. on my uh, my having a job that paid money, mm -hmm. uh, any of the things that one might say, oh, yeah, this is a reminder of who I am and how good I am, mm -hmm. other people's eyes, uh, the way doors got opened for me, literally and figuratively. Yeah, so I suddenly had to say to myself, uh, where where is God meeting me here and now as I am? And it won't be in the terms of the past, but instead uh, in some new manner. And what I came to see was that God was going to uh, reveal to me uh, a way of being valued and meaningful that I hadn't previously understood or named and would not uh, be based on uh, the kind of role I had or position or other people's view of me or uh, whether I was making a lot of money or, yeah, all those sorts of things had to kind of be set aside and it had to be more about just this uh, gift of God's relationship with me, which, you know, there was a lot of growing as a result of that. And while I've probably fallen back into the habit of turning to roles and money and other things to help me feel my worth. Uh, I'm definitely better for uh, that time when I have to say, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm being invited into relationship, a really 
beautiful, gifted relationship in this moment that doesn't have any of the obvious markers of grace. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting. At the beginning of this, you said that there's almost this fear that people will see it as a failure to launch or um, as a failure in general by saying, oh, I entered this one way of life that I thought was my vocation and now I'm changing my mind or I'm deciding not to go forward. Uh, But I think one of the things that's so great about what Ignatius teaches is that God's desires match our own deepest desires and that what we want deep down inside is really what God wants for us. But sometimes it takes 30 days of silence on a, a, on a retreat, or it takes time of of quiet reflection and discernment to really understand what our deepest desires are. And those can change over the course of our life. And so that constant reflection, that constant returning back to discernment is so important. Um, And I think you make a good point when you, when you really feel like it's just you and God in a particular moment, you get to understand that people's approval is really not the approval that you're seeking, right? Or what fame or glory or success that you can have in a particular way of life is not really the goal. Um, And so it can really kind of introduce you to what is the foundation, what is the goal, that it's God's love for us and um, that that's really the only grace that we need. And then you can move into other um, ways of life kind of with more freedom, right? That freedom that Ignatius asked us at the beginning of the exercises to attain. Yeah. No, what a gift it is to have a little interior freedom that allows us to say yes to what we really want and move forward in ways that reflect it and not get caught up and tripped up by a lot of distracting energy, fear, doubt, preoccupation with other people's concerns in a way that isn't, in fact, reflective of yeah, freedom and availability. And really, that's what the novitiate is for, right? Those two years of really affirming, is this the call that God is asking of me? Or is, is God asking for something else? That's why there's the 30-day 30, 30 retreat and all the different like six weeks of going to different places and serving just to see what the life of a Jesuit really is um, and constantly being praying and evaluating that decision. Yeah, I mean, uh, the novitiate is such a wonderful kind of microcosm of the charism, and because it's so much about having certain kinds of experiences that are going to shape you to live your vocation more fully, and a process of reflection and conversation that might include spiritual direction, periods of retreat, days of retreat, days of prayer putting all that into conversation with these moments of, as I said, experience where it might be living in Jesuit community mm-hmm. or doing uh, simple work in the house and caring for your brothers or uh, serving the poor in some way, but an exposure to the charism and then a processing of where did I have aptitude, resistance, and or need for growth. Mm-hmm. And it is a, it's kind of like a, uh, an engagement, you know, with uh, a, a clear sense of vocation, but at the same time, ongoing preparation and discernment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely okay. tools that you can take with you for the the rest of your life, even if the rest of your life isn't 
in the Society of Jesus, but so far your rest of your life has been serving the Society of Jesus in various capacities, both as a high school campus minister. And then now, can you explain a little bit what your role is now? Sure. Uh, very happily, I began last August to serve as the Director of Spiritual Formation. And in that role, uh, I give considerable time to supporting our liturgical life. Mm. And so the common prayer of the community, mm. and that means supporting both uh, Eucharistic liturgies, reconciliation services, and also uh, lay-led or student-led liturgies. And then uh, I coordinate a pool of spiritual directors and I do all that I can to invite students into that, uh, the gift of that ministry. And then uh, I also support some retreats and other opportunities for personal spiritual formation and community prayer. I think the real heart of it, as I would name it, is about promoting uh, communal and personal prayer mm -hmm. of the students in our uh, graduate programs at the Jesuit School of Theology. And there's a real opportunity to accompany these uh, folks who are preparing for ministry. Mm -hmm. and or, or ordination as Jesuits mm -hmm. uh, to use this time in ways that help them to deepen their own relationship with Christ and then uh, serve the people of God. Is this idea of being loved as you are something you think that the graduate students already have kind of a good understanding of or are getting a good understanding of in their in their formation? Is this something that comes up in conversation and um, in their prayer reflections? Yeah, uh, wonderful question. I think like all people of faith, they have some <laughs> significant intimation of God's great love for them, mm -hmm. even as uh, like you and I and all of your listeners, I'm sure, know that there are ways that it becomes very challenging mm -hmm. to accept that love and to hold it with faith. And I think graduate school has uh, its own particular kinds of challenges whether one's a Jesuit who's been through the retreat and other years of apostolic service, mm -hmm. or someone who's left a volunteer program to arrive at the Jesuit School of Theology and pursue preparation for greater uh, service to the church. And so those stresses and the complexity of managing multiple things and all, all of it entails some uh, potential moment of reminding oneself who God is and who you are in relationship to God. I suspect most of our folks are really sincerely uh, devoted to doing well in their academic work. And perhaps there's an occasion when they get a, a grade back or a paper back that leaves them with less than the adulation they'd hope to receive, and they have to ask, you know, what, what do I do with this? Uh, yeah. Or maybe there's a you know, service in the community at a liturgy which I've had myself, where things don't go quite as you thought they should. Mm -hmm. and, and you have to then hold that uh, moment of limitation mm -hmm. with a little bit of poise and grace. Yeah. So I think that's the nature of our life with, with, with God is kind of running up against those moments mm -hmm. and then taking a step into, uh, into a deeper awareness of, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, God's love is not, not just based on my doing that just so yeah. or yeah. yeah getting it yeah. getting an a on a paper or making sure that a liturgy is flawless is not exactly what god's looking for in terms of whether or not god loves us more or has more 
yeah. excitement about who we are. That That's always a hard thing because that's how we as human beings kind of judge each other and ourselves is like how well we're doing, how well we're showing up, how well we're serving, how well we're even like able to interact with other people. But that's, it's hard to separate our human understanding of how, how we rate one another with how God actually um, views us. Right. Yeah. Have you, have you mentioned in any previous episode, I just wonder the little phrase of the Jesuits, uh, compare and despair Mm -hmm. and just that inclination to, uh, put ourselves into comparisons with other people. When we compare, we often despair mm-hmm. because we end up finding ourselves wanting in some way because we don't look like someone else in some particular way. Mm-hmm. And that can be uh, in our prayer life, in our ministry, in our sense of humor, our appearance, any number of things we will compare and then despair. Mm-hmm. And it's a hook by which the enemy of our human nature mm-hmm. draws us away from the gift of God's love. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get preoccupied and hung up on it mm-hmm. and fail to say yes to the gift that God's giving us. Mm-hmm. It's logical for Go us ahead. to understand that God didn't want to create us exactly like somebody else, that God actually purposefully created me to be different than somebody else, you know, who is born and that interact with. So like logically we can understand that. But then when we see somebody else being more successful or having more friends or being just listened to more or whatever it is, then we start to feel like, oh, well, maybe we aren't, maybe we weren't created, you know, for something good. Maybe they were, and maybe we have to be more like them. So um, it is really challenging to try to remind ourselves that no, God really did intentionally form and create each one of us for a unique purpose and a unique role. Yeah. And uh, there's so many moments of God giving us love and grace and gifts, blessings that book in, in so many different ways that are not even about who I am. Uh, it's just that, Oh, this is good. This other thing is good too. And, uh, as a result, if I can be open to that, I can. my life will become full, not because I'm full myself, but because the gifts are so abundant that receiving them and saying yes to them and being grateful for them creates a kind of amplitude that is greater than uh, a question of, is my tank full? Yeah. You know, do I have everything I would like to have in myself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you... So- Working with graduate students, college students, but even, you know, recently high school students, do you think there's anything particularly challenging um, in today's time in, in 2023 about trying to help people understand that they are loved as they are, things that, that may get in the way of that? There's so many things. <laughs> I know. Uh, let's narrow it down. to the. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, will, I would say one of the things that I'm concentrating on myself is uh, being preoccupied and distracted. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much uh, going on and we're encouraged to be continually in motion and attentive to other things and between uh, entertainment and work mm-hmm. and other forms of busyness, uh, it's hard to be open to God mm-hmm. and to the gift of God's love. Mm-hmm. and. It really uh, takes
strength and discipline to set up in one's own life, I think. The context that allows one to say, oh, wait a minute, I can exhale and uh, sit for a moment and uh, sit in gratitude and sit in a way that's reflective of being in relationship uh, with myself, with others, and with God. To go back to that theme of Kairos and uh, the Lord has time for us, but can we find the time for that gift? Not so easy. Yeah, and can we give each other the freedom to have the time for that gift? Because I think sometimes it's sure find the time to pray, but please do it before you come to work or before, you know, the kids wake up or whatever it is. Like find that time, maybe take some more time out of your sleeping so that you can get some of these other, you know, time with God done or time to exercise or whatever it is, but just giving ourselves, but yeah. also giving each other permission to say, no, this is what makes us better for one another. These are the things that they're mm-hmm. not just like um, advertising slogans of self-care or spiritual care. They're actually like necessary for our humanity. Um, how do we allow yeah. each one another when we're not in like a college environment where it's a you know that's a part of what our structure is like how in the world do we say yeah. no we, we will give each other freedom for this yeah i mean if uh institutions and the organizations we work for and uh our families are able to say together we value this yeah, if we're able to have that kind of space in our relationships and, and our workday, uh, it's a radically different question. But as you said, like when oh, so many uh, pressures are to work comes first, get to your task, uh, ensure this is done, and there are so many things on that list, it's really, really hard to actually uh, – privilege that moment of sitting with one who loves us. Yeah, there's there's also the constant need or desire within ourselves and then as a community to like, as a broader society, I guess, to make things better constantly. So, you know, yet it's not just about the task, it's also about, well, we've got to be better next year than we were this year. We have to be, you know, move it one step forward, make it one step, you know, better. And there's new technology to explore. There's new ways of proceeding that we should kind of integrate. And so all of that kind of too makes it difficult to rest in the space of reflecting on what just happened because you're constantly thinking, well, how can I, how can I keep moving it forward? Yeah, right. And uh, a careful discernment might yield some insight into the value of making it better precisely by valuing that uh, stillness mm-hmm. even. And uh, the the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. God marked the day of celebration uh, by saying, "Take a, a moment, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be still." Yeah. yeah, and I, I I think you're better at this than I am. I have had a couple weeks this summer where I was like, you know what, my kids are in summer school, and I I have time to like to just rest, and I can't, I can't. It's driving me crazy. It's like I need something to do. <laughs> I need, yeah. I can't uh-huh. just sit and rest because, you know, I keep thinking about, I'm wasting this yeah. time. I have this time. I need to use it. <laughs> so, uh-huh. yeah. No, I know that. I know that same compulsion. <laughs> it is something in me. And, uh, but I do think that uh, 
yeah, the other side of it is then also honoring those moments of giving. Uh, there's a balance. It's not a, a one or the other. It's a both and, and that God is in in each of those ways present to you and you are present to God. And because for me, when I'm working away on here or you know, whichever angle it's at, there, there's a way that God may well be meeting me there and or asking me to be there. Uh, but then if I'm able to be sensitive to that and to say, oh, yeah, this is a moment of my giving myself away for the good of my spouse mm -hmm. or my children or, uh, you know, my work, my place of yeah. work, the people I care about here, that it can become another moment of fostering that relationship. But it, it does require some moment, I think, of stillness yeah. to, to get into that place where we can appreciate it. And, and it's, I don't think, easy for anyone, but no doubt people who work and serve as parents and are married and uh, maybe have a, a, an older parent or a close friend that they're caring for, or any number of things, it can get very hard to do that. Yeah. Uh, and then again, we have to come back and be grateful that God knows that uh, complexity of our lives. Yeah, I think I'm I'm constantly learning the real meaning behind two different things in Ignatian spirituality. The first one is finding God in all things. I've always been like, oh, well, you find God in all things. So if I'm busy 24-7, I can find God in the midst of the noise and the chaos. Uh -huh. And I don't really have to rest uh -huh. ever because uh -huh. God's in everything. But, but it uh -huh. does mean that I'm missing, that God is in all things, and it's the silence as well, and the time of individual yeah. reflection. And it, it, it's a both and, like you said, it's not one or the other. And then the other phrase I constantly need to uh, remind myself of, of a both and is contemplatives in action. I always, you know, learned that mm -hmm. Jesuits were contemplatives in action. And I loved the inaction part because I want to be in action all the time. But it's yeah. it's not that they're like constantly in action and contemplating. It's that they do both, that they don't just sit in contemplation all the time and they don't just sit in action all the time. It's kind of a balance of being able to reflect while mm -hmm. being active, but also, as you said, that constant retreating away that Jesuits take an eight day retreat every year. You know, many people who work in, in Jesuit circles try to take some type of, of retreat and time away because you need both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, no doubt. And uh, that's it. Uh, that element of the charism, the contemplative inaction, and that particular both end is definitely. Uh, uh, a real uh, grace to to live into, to know how how to how to be that person in our own yeah. way. Well, thank you, Stephen, so much for coming on the podcast and for having this conversation uh, with me today and our listeners. And hopefully, we can have another conversation like it in the future. But I really appreciate your time today. So thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you, Gretchen. It's great to be with you and your listeners and to have had a, another opportunity to talk and reflect on Ignatian's terrors and, and God's love. Thank you. Thank you so much.
enjoyed my conversation with Stephen as much as I did. I loved hearing about his discernment process and his return over and over again to the wisdom he gained from his time in the novitiate and all the time he spent working for and with the Jesuits ever since. These conversations are bringing me such life, and I can't wait to share even more of them with you. I think you'll notice that I'm trying to get a variety of perspectives and experiences on this podcast, including both Catholic and non-Catholic, Ignatian and other forms of spiritual practice as well. If you think you or someone you know has a story to share on this podcast, please email me at lovedasyouarepod at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, subscribe and leave a review. I'd love to have your feedback and be able to continue to move this podcast in a direction that is valuable for you. You can also follow everything related to this podcast at lovedasyouarepod on Instagram and at gretchencrowder.com slash lovedasyouarepodcast. Links to both are in the show notes. Thank you for joining me today. And until next time, remember to be who you are, because that's exactly who God wants you to be. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.